Good morning to all of the media members on today's call. I hope all of you and your loved ones are healthy and safe. Thanks for joining us on the phone. As usual, we will do our very best to get to as many RSVPs as possible. And in order to do that, I respectfully ask everyone participating in this Q&A to please skip all personal greetings and begin right away with your question. We'll start off today with Andrew Callahan at the Boston Herald and then Dan Wiederer with the Chicago Tribune. Uh, good morning, Mel. I'm wondering, in your opinion, what are some things the Patriots must accomplish with those draft, this draft, and if there are any mid-round safeties you think could fit them as, with some single high capabilities? Yeah, I think in terms of uh, you know getting a linebacker early on, uh, and obviously you know, would like to add they added Nikhil Harry last year, add some weapons to a tight end. Obviously, is something that you have to address. Then there's some tight ends that I think in the third, fourth round, uh, you know, could be very attractive depending upon, say, they take a Zach Bond from Wisconsin or a Kenneth Murray, linebacker Oklahoma, somebody like that. Uh, the tight ends that I like down the line, Devin Asiasi from UCLA, formerly of Michigan, as a kid, who I think is a little underrated going into day three. I've always liked Harrison Bryan from Florida Atlantic. Can you get him in the third or fourth round, uh, not day three? I think he would be intriguing. The Portland State kid, Charlie uh, Talmo. Payu is interesting as well. Great run after the catch ability. Had some impressive games. He could be a late-round pick. So I think there's some tight ends. Cole Komet's going to be a second-round pick. He's the number one tight end. But I think those other guys that I mentioned uh, certainly have a chance to be pretty good. Um, in terms of safeties, uh, they, uh, I think you look at guys like uh, J.R. Reed from Georgia on day three. Uh, I think he would be a guy to look at there. Aloy Gilman from Notre Dame on day three. Chris Miller-Baylor would be another one. Brian Cole the second out of Mississippi State would be another. Uh, and they're all day three type of guys uh, that I think would have a chance to maybe compete and make a team. A little earlier than that would be Kayvon Wallace from Clemson. I have a third, fourth round grade on him. Uh, Jeremy Chin from Southern Illinois is the best of the group in terms of the, the second rounders. So uh, he can also maybe help out a corner. He would be another guy to look at. We'll go to Dan Wiederer and then Mike Worrell with the Seattle Times. Hey, Mel, two specific prospects I wanted to ask about. What specifically jumps out to you about A.J. Terrell's playmaking ability and the style he plays at cornerback? And then with Denzel Mims, what do you see as his greatest upside at the next level? Well, Terrell is a guy who's got, uh, you know, a decent length, uh, you know, very athletic, uh, you know, has good recovery ability. And when you have, uh, you know, decent arm length, you recover, you can bat down, you know, break up passes that, you know, guys with shorter arms couldn't. Um, and, you know, six one and a quarter. So I had that hiccup late. You, know, you can't go by one game. One game can't determine a player's fate. Everybody has a, a disappointing game here and there. But I think in terms of the overall grade, it's late first, early second for me. And I projected him into the late first. First round, with New Orleans being a possibility, Minnesota's another team could look his way. In terms of, of Denzel Mims, um, the Baylor offense obviously is something people question coming out of there with route running. Uh, as we talked about with Jim Nagy, Senior Bowl week certainly helped him in that regard. Uh, then he goes and has a phenomenal uh, combine workout uh, where he did everything spectacularly well. Uh, was six three two oh seven, ran under four four, vertical almost forty inches at the great three cone. So I think you look at Denzel Mims. I think he's a borderline first, almost put him in the late first, put him in the early second instead to Indianapolis. But he's in that late one, early two category. We'll go to Mike Worrell and then Tom Green with AL.com. Uh, hey, Mal, I just wanted to get your projection at this point for UW uh, quarterback Jacob Eason. 
Yeah, I think he's a second rounder. That's where I projected him in the in the mock yesterday. I'm going to Indianapolis. We'd be a very good heir apparent to Philip, learn behind Rivers uh, for a year or two, and then have a chance. Uh, you know, with his rocket arm, he's got that imposing size at six foot, uh, six six and a quarter, two thirty six. Uh, what he needs to do, uh, you know, when you look at at, at guy like Jacob Eason, is excuse me, six five and a six five and three quarters, two thirty one. Uh, six five and three quarters, two thirty one is exact height and weight. But what he has to do is become more consistent from quarter to quarter. I I had made note during the year, Oregon, Utah, fourth quarter, Leeds at home, didn't get it done there. That completion percentage was 73% in the first quarter, dropped to 58% in the fourth quarter, actually 59% as well in the entire second half. So after teams made adjustments, he was contained. So I think that's the concern with him is the levels of inconsistency. But I want talent with his size, like I said, you know, kids almost 6'6", 230, 235 pounds, and he's got the rock. He's got arguably as good an arm as any kid to come out in recent years, right up there, you know, maybe not the top, but right up there near the top, certainly in the upper half, upper upper group. Uh, you know, And the work behind Rivers will be a good thing for him. We'll go to Tom Green and then Carlos Robinette with the KC Star. Hey, Mel, wanted to ask you about a couple of Auburn prospects. Uh, first, I know you've been real consistent with having Derek Brown at number seven there at Carolina, and you mentioned a couple possibilities if he slips past them. But do you see a scenario where he goes higher than seventh? And then the other one, uh, offensive tackle Prince Tagawanogo, uh, where do you see him going? And how much was he hurt by the fact that he was pulled from the senior bowl, didn't get to work out at the combine or pro day, and then had his pro day canceled because of the pandemic? Yeah, I think in terms of one ago, I, th- I had at one point in time he was in my top tens as far as as offensive tackles and uh, and in, in that group. And I think when you look at him now, I mean he's six five, he's almost three hundred and ten pounds. He's got long arms, uh, yeah, he's decent feet. I think he's a day three guy. I, I, in terms of Derek Brown, um, I can't see a spot earlier for him. The Chargers are going to look quarterback. Miami's going to look quarterback. The Giants have to take either Isaiah Simmons or an offensive tackle. The Lions, it's way too high, I think, to think about. I mean, you could, but to pass on Jeff Okuda and Isaiah Simmons, uh, you know, to take Derek Brown, I don't have as high a grade on Brown. That would be a spot there, but I don't see that. So I'd say Carolina just because of the quarterbacks and those elite defensive players, which he's part of, but he's in that that next group behind Okuda and Simmons, in my opinion. Um, You know, he would be a good pick for, for Carolina at seven. You could make an argument. I mean, you could very easily make an argument he's the third best player in this draft. So Detroit could start the ball rolling there if somebody wanted to maybe move up, but I don't see that happening because I don't think you want to lose out on some of those elite guys if you're Detroit or necessarily the Giants. The Giants may be from four to six, but that would be to get the tackle um, or even Simmons by moving down, knowing they wouldn't lose the guy they wanted at, at six moving from four because Miami's going to take a quarterback and the Chargers probably will as well. So I think seven is, is the spot for Derek Brown. We'll go to Kellis Robinette and then Eric Bacharach with the Tennessean. Hey, thanks for doing this. Uh, my question is, Kansas State uh, is a school that has a lot of guys who are hoping to be drafted late in the process. Do you have any of those guys in your radar as somebody who could be drafted in the late rounds? No, and in fact, you know, most of them, as you said, are are guys that are borderline draftable or undrafted free agents. And some of the guys, and I mean, everybody's gonna have a different opinion on on some players and, than what I do. But uh, and everybody that evaluates guys obviously does. But I think when you look at at you know the offensive linemen, they are all borderline you know guys that could go in that mix. Uh, Gilbert, the running back, the transfer. Yeah, you know, at times you look like a draftable guy, but I have a free agent grade on him as well. So uh, yeah, no, I would. It, 
to me, it would be I wouldn't be a you know, a complete surprise if if they didn't have anybody drafted this year. Maybe one sneaks into the later rounds. That would be it. We'll go to Eric Bacharach and then Tommy Birch with the Des Moines Register. Hey, Mel. Uh, Titans question for you. Do you see that the Titans may be drafting a quarterback um, at some point, uh, maybe in the later round? And, and is there anybody you could see being a good fit in Nashville behind Tannehill? Yeah, I think there are. I think there are some interesting late-round guys. James Morgan, to me, from Florida International, is the most interesting. I like what he did. He was a transfer from Bowling Green. Uh, you know, 6'4", 230-pounder with a nice arm. Uh, he can he can make the throws. Uh, he moves well in the pocket. Uh, yeah, he's a guy very very competitive, very smart, great football IQ, great kid, uh, works hard, loves to study the game, very passionate about the game of football. Uh, I like the way James Morgan played. I think he's a kid that you, know, you get in one day three. I think he's intriguing. Cole McDonald from Hawaii has some arm talent. Uh, he made some really good throws on the crossing route to hit the receivers, those smaller receivers in stride, let him do a lot of good things after the catch. So I would say the two that are most interesting to me would be Morgan and and McDonald. Uh, Steven Montez has a lot of talent at Colorado, but he's erratic in terms of, of consistency and decision-making, uh, you know, throwing the football uh, and with accuracy. So I think Montez, one talent, but you got a lot of coaching to do there. Morgan I like as a late-rounder. If I had to rank those three, it would be Morgan would be the guy for me. Um, then McDonald and then Montez, or, or you know, Montez and McDonald basically have the same grade. But I, I'm intrigued by Morgan. I, I think in the sixth round he would be a really good pick. We'll go to Tommy Birch and then Maddie Grab with the Buffalo Bills. Hey Mel, Iowa State long snapper Stephen Martell is the guy that popped up on draft boards. How uh, first off do you see him getting drafted? And two, how does he stand out in such a specialized position? He can get it done, and I have him actually graded as a draftable player. He and Blake Ferguson, the kid from LSU, are the two highest-rated centers. I have him ahead of Ferguson slightly right now, and both are draftable. Um, there's a couple other ones as well. Could get to camp. There's not that many opportunities for jobs. Remember, these are the 32 best long snappers in the world, and teams aren't going to train. They can play in the, you know, late into their career. You can, you can get guys that are playing at a, at a much older age at that long snapper position. So once they're there, you don't want to get rid of these guys. They, they, they have a career with that team. Uh, we have a great one here in Baltimore and Morgan Cox. So I think you look at, at uh, a guy like uh, like Wartell, I think he's, he's, to me, if you need one, well, we've seen him before. You know, Bill Belichick drafted the long snapper from Navy a few years ago. So to me, I think that's uh, that's the way, you know, a possibility for a, a sixth, seventh round. If you desperately need one, uh, you could. And like I say, he's my number one guy at that spot right now, followed very closely by Ferguson from LSU. Maddie Glab is up, and then Paul Domowicz with the Philadelphia Inquirer. Hey, Mel, in your latest mock draft, you have Julian O'Quar mocked to the Buffalo Bills at number 54, and a lot of these mocks have the Bills taking an edge rusher running back with that pick. Brandon Bean likes to pick the best available with the first three rounds, so at number 54, who do you think will be the best available and have the biggest impact right away? It depends really on their board. Uh, you know, it could be a running back, uh, you know, to go along with Singletary. I mean, you could see, you could very easily at that point where they're picking – uh, you know, at that uh, 54 spot, I mean, I don't think I don't think Dobbins or Taylor will be there, but maybe Clyde Edwards-Alaire from LSU, uh, AJ Dillon from Boston College, Cam Akers from Florida State, and Zach Moss from Utah would all be very interesting possibilities. I just think Okwara's pass rush ability two years ago until he got, of course, hurt this year, but I mean, he was brilliant uh, coming off the edge. You know, he's over six four. Uh, he's got really long arms. He's got a knack for getting after the quarterback. 
Very strong, athletic kid. Uh, I think Okwara, to me, because uh, that's what you need. Remember, you're in a division with Sam Darnold. You've got to beat him. Uh, you know, Miami's going to add a quarterback. New England's going to figure their things out after Brady. So uh, I think with the defensive side uh, and the depth at running back isn't great, but you can still, I think, found Singletary last year. Uh, I think you can, there's some backs like Anthony McFarlane at Maryland is interesting. Uh, Ahmed at Washington is interesting. I like J.J. Taylor at Arizona as a late-round uh, guy, Mike Warren at Cincinnati, some other guys. So I think if they did not take the running back in a second, I think they could get one late. And I said, I'm, I'm intrigued by J.J. Taylor, five five and a quarter, 185 pounds. That kid can scoot. He can catch the ball. Uh, I was impressed with the tape of J.J. Taylor from Arizona. Paul Domowich and then Scott Bordeaux with the Athletic. Yeah, Mel. Uh, for the uh, Eagles, eight picks come in a 43 pick span there in the third and fourth rounds between pick 103 and 146. Um, how fertile, what positions do you, do you foresee still being fairly fertile late on day two, early on day three? Well, you know, it really varies. Uh, you can pretty much, obviously, wide receiver. You're going to find wide receivers. I mean, you know, the guys I like in that, that third to fifth round range, uh, you would be Lynn Bowden Jr. Uh, from Kentucky, Isaiah Coulter uh, from Rhode Island, Antonio Gandy Golden from Liberty uh, is another one. John Hightower, Boise State. Uh, just heading on down the list a little bit further than that. Um, Desmond Patman from Washington State. I love James Prochet at SMU. Great uh, acrobatic catches he made. He'll sell out. Really like him. Uh, Quez Watkins came on at Southern Miss and then ran 4-3-6 at the combine. He's another. So some wide receivers like that. I think tight ends you can find late uh, as well. Somebody's going to mention some earlier in the call. Um, I think pass rusher, the Ravens have always had great success finding pass rushers late. I'm anxious to see where Alex Highsmith from Charlotte goes. Former walk-on, really liked the way he came on uh, as a combo defensive end outside linebacker. So I would say if you're looking for a, a real steal, a uh, real find, I think I, like, I really like Highsmith. I have all along. I wrote him up on ESPN.com uh, early in the year as a guy uh, that I thought could have a, be a, a nice factor in the NFL coming off the edge. Derek Tuska from uh, North Dakota State's another one. He's got length. He had production. Um, you know, he's the kind of guy, uh, you know, uh, Oakland found Max, or the Raiders found Max Crosby last year in the fourth round. I think uh, the kid from North Dakota State's got a chance as well. Scott Bordeaux and then Jim Ozarski with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Mel, if Derek Brown falls to the Cardinals at number eight, would you take him or grab one of the tackles or because they don't have the second round pick, maybe trade down, grab one of the other tackles and, and try to accumulate more picks? Yeah, I think that uh, depends on their board. Uh, they're both. Uh, it'd be hard to not take Derek Brown, but they have a need. Remember this: this team added during Don Jerry Hopkins. Tyler Murray got hit way too much. This is all about Kyler Murray. So I think you, know, you would look at the offense. If you have a high grade on Wirfs or Becton or Wills, and I think they probably will be in line with that eighth pick because if you're picking eighth, you've got to get the sixth best player on your board or fifth best player on your board. You should. Uh, you don't want to get the 15th best player. So to me, you know, I think you know, Derek Brown obviously is a high grade, but I don't think the, the grade with, with Brown and Wirfs, Wills, and, and, and Becton will be that different. That, it's not going to be a substantial difference there. Enough to say we got to take Brown because you got a big need to tackle. And I think the protecting Kyler Murray, you cannot get hit as much as he did uh, last year. They sacked the league leading a number of times. So to me, I think the offensive tackle would be the guy maybe to go with over Derek Brown uh, if the grade is close enough. Jim Ozarski and then Angelique Shangelis with the Detroit News. 
Mel, when you look at the receiver position historically, um, how much of a drop-off is there round-to-round? For instance, is there kind of a typical cutoff, you think, when an incoming rookie needs more time to contribute? You know, is it that you pick a receiver in the top ten, okay, that that guy you kind of figure is going to play right away for you, or and then it, that, that demarcation is late first round, second, third. I'm just kind of wondering if, if historically there's a difference there. Maybe if this class um, can kind of change that a little bit with how deep it is. Well, the slot guys tend to transition pretty quick. Uh, I think you'll see some of these, like the Devin Duvernay from uh, from Texas, who will, I think will transition very quickly. K.J. Hill from Ohio State. Those slot guys will transition quick. The outside guys with the route tree and, and pacing routes and being able to be precise with your routes and the timing with the quarterbacks. Coming out of college, that's the tough part. The tough part is for the outside guys, not the inside slot guys. So the slot guys, I would say, look at Hunter Renfro last year. He had a nice uh, rookie season with the Raiders. So to me, those are the guys you're looking for to have immediate contributions. And obviously a C.D. Lamb, 50% of his production came inside, 50% outside. So he gives you versatility there. But a Lynn Bowden Jr., he'll be a slot guy coming out of Kentucky. I mentioned the other guys as well. So I think the, that's the difference for me in terms of how you with the expectations as a rookie. Angelique Shangelis and then Joe Rutter with the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. Thanks. Pardon me, Mel. You've, you've talked about Ben Bredesen in the past. I thought he was the best pure guard. How, how do you feel now after uh, after his combine performance? And and you know who might mightn't have a, a need for someone like like Ben Bredesen. Well, I think when you look at, at where he figures right now, some of the guys, like a Robert Hunt's a tackle guard, so some of the versatile guys kind of slip ahead of a pure guard uh, when you go through and you start ranking these guys and, and, and finalizing grades on where these guys can go. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens obviously need a center guard. Uh, that's an area of concern. You think about you know how Miami's restructuring their offensive line. The Rams are another team obviously looking at offensive linemen as well. Kansas City, Seattle need interior linemen. Uh, so there are some teams that I think could go that route. The Jets as well did some things in free agency. They're trying to restructure their offensive line to the best they can. So uh, those are there's several teams. I think there's like five or six teams in the in the second third round area uh, could be looking. And I think Bredesen to me is a third or fourth round type prospect right now. Joe Rudder and then Troy Rink with ABC Denver. Yeah, Mel. <clears throat> Beyond the obvious first round guys, what does the depth look like at tackle? in the mid to later rounds, and, and same thing for interior offensive line. Yes, good question. I think the tackle position is strong early. Some, some, I think it's a little overrated. Some of these guys are early that you're going to pushed up because they're needed. Uh, I think that's a valid point, but they're still a really good prospects. I'm talking about guys like uh, you know Werfs and Wills and Beckton and that group and Andrew Thomas. But of the guys you're talking about, day three uh, of the offensive linemen that I think have, a, have really have a legitimate shot uh, to be you know guys that can play. Ben Barch, I think Ben Barch from St. John's, Minnesota, is going to be a third around pick. But I mean, he's a guy I've liked all along. Long uh, wrote him up on ESPN.com during the season. Cameron Clark from Charlotte held his own against elite competition when he had a, a chance. I think he's a guy in day one, day three, uh, could maybe have a chance to uh, to make a football team and maybe be a little bit better than advertised. Um, the versatility of Kyle Murphy. Now he's a, a more of a guard center, but I like the versatility of Kyle Murphy uh, in the draft. Matt Peart from Connecticut, with his length, his athleticism. Now he's a developmental tackle. He needs a little bit of time, but he's got a chance um, as a guy that I think you get later in the draft. Uh, you know, I say later, like third, fourth round. Of a late, later round guy, round wise, five, six, seven. Alex Taylor from South Carolina State has a chance. Uh, I think to be a guy could be a nice developmental player as well.
Troy Rink, and then Mark Berman with the Roanoke Times. Mel, if with the Broncos, if they get to 15 and Ruggs and Andrew Thomas are on the board, which way do you go? And if they go one of those guys, what is the what are the options in the second round for tackle receivers? So if they go receiver first, what's tackle look like second? And vice versa, and who would you take if Ruggs or Thomas are on the board at 15? Well, I got to think to think Justin Jefferson too. I mean, he's kind of moved up into that group uh, to be competing with them from LSU. So I think it's going to be tough because they're in the same situation as the Jets. The Jets could go wide receiver, offensive tackle, but what tackle are you going to get in the second round? It's as good as the receiver you could get. So if you do the thing, you look at your grade of the first round receiver. What's the grade of the second round tackle going to be? But if you go, what's the grade of the first round tackle as opposed to the second round receiver? I think it's going to be better taking the tackle first and the receiver second. I think most teams would agree with that that I've spoken to. And that's why the Jets could go, say, Wills or Wirfs or Beckton and then come back in the second round and get guys like Chase Claypool from Notre Dame or, or a guy like Jalen Rager from TCU or Devin Duvernay, Texas, or Michael Pittman, Jr., USC. Uh, some of those receivers in round two. A K.J. Hamler, Penn State would be another. Okay, So I think the Denver Broncos could maybe look at Thomas. Of the tackles you mentioned, I think Thomas could be there. If Thomas is there and Tampa Bay goes a different direction, then you'd have to look at Thomas at 15, then come back and get one of those receivers as opposed to taking, say, Ruggs or Jefferson and then getting a tackle. The tackle that you're looking at in the second round is probably uh, you know, going to be – yeah, you know, and I think Josh Jones from Houston will be gone. Uh, Robert Hunt's more of a, to me, more of a guard than a tackle. But you'd be looking at guys, like I said, like Ben Barch from St. John's, Minnesota. Ezra Cleveland from Boise State would be another guy uh, in that mix. So I think you'd be better off taking the tackle first and the receiver second. Mark Berman and then William McSadden with the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, good morning. Uh, what's the latest you're, you're thinking about the uh, Bryce Hall of, of uh, Virginia and his draft stock? And do you see any other Virginia guys maybe getting drafted? Yeah, I think he's the one. And, uh, you know, I think where he goes is obviously you look back two years ago, you saw a guy that certainly uh, looked like he could be an early round pick. And I think when you get into to day two uh, and early day three, depends upon if he's still on the board. I mean, I think that he has he has some physicality to his game. He's over six one. Uh, he can match up against the bigger receivers. Uh, he showed he could cover when he was healthy two years. He showed he could do everything. Yeah, to me, he was a second round pick you know, prior to that. Uh, some thought first I had him in his second. Uh, if you can get him in the third or fourth round, I think Bryce Hall would make a lot of sense. William McFadden and then Daryl Slater with the Newark Star-Ledger. Hi, Mel. Do you view cornerback or edge rusher as the Falcons' most pressing need, and are there any other wild card positions you could see them targeting early in the draft? Yeah, that's the two, and I think it gets down to uh, Caleb on Chason from LSU if he were there, and C.J. Henderson from Florida, the corner, if he were there, and I think it'll be interesting to see what direction they would go, uh, you know, in that first round, and then in the second round, you know, what could you get at those two spots? Could you get the pass rusher, uh, maybe a Julian Okwara? How do they feel about him coming out of Notre Dame, uh, or you know, how do they feel about at that point a corner? And there'll be some corners on the board in the second round, so maybe they go chase on, knowing you can get a guy, maybe like Jeremy. Chin from Southern Illinois, who played safety and had 13 career interceptions, also played a little corner, had seven interceptions in high school as well. So he's a playmaker who's got dual versatility. Damon Arnett from Ohio State did a good job opposite Jeff Okuda, like him. Uh, Jeff Gladney, TCU's another corner uh, that's going to be right in that mix. Uh, you know, Ashton Davis from Cal's a safety, very athletic kid, track guy who could project a corner. Uh, Trayvon Diggs, Alabama, mixed opinion on him, but he'll be in that second round discussion, as will Cameron Dantzler from uh, 
Mississippi State. So there's going to be a lot of corners. Christian Fulton may be there from LSU, mixed opinion on him. So I think you might want to go chase on first and then the corner second if you're Atlanta. Daryl Slater and then Anthony Dasher with UGA Sports. Now a two-parter on the Jets. As you look at Wills and Beckton, you have them going back-to-back there. Um, How do you weigh their strengths and weaknesses against each other, those two tackles there, uh, Wills and Beckton? And then also with Claypool, a big-bodied receiver, how do you think he could help Sam Donald? Yeah, Becton is a guy who is huge and has great feet, uh, and he ran 5.10. Now, the thing with him is going to be his weight. Is his weight going to be at 360, 365? He was with 364 at the combine, or will he be 380, 385? And then all of a sudden he becomes a right tackle, and there are even issues there. So he's got to maintain The biggest concern with Becton is maintaining the proper weight to maximize all that talent. And if he does, he can be a Pro Bowl caliber left tackle. If he doesn't, it'll be a bit of a disappointment. So that's really up to, to Mekhi Becton uh, and the organization you go to to ensure that that happens. Jedrick Wills is safer because uh, he's a right tackle who I think can play left tackle. It's a guy, very athletic. If you look at the movement he gets in the run game. He was a key guy for their running game. Uh, he, he very rarely let up any pressures. He keeps that frame between the defensive end and the quarterback. He's a very skilled, very very in, innately uh, smart pass uh, blocker. He just has a knack. He cuts off angles. Uh, he's really good. Uh, when you watch him on tape, he's impressive. That's why I think he could be a left tackle, even though he didn't play. He was six four plus, 312 pounds. He's got really long arms. He, he tested well. He's very athletic. I, w- I think Jedrick Wills is a guy that you, if you're the Jets, that's who you look at with that 11th pick. Um, and Claypool, it, the main thing with Claypool, he's a freak with his size and his speed and his up. He's got to be more consistent catching the ball. You know, he can't be like Brashad Perriman, who had questions coming out. You thought he could maybe improve. He didn't. And now, of course, he got a little bit better with Tampa Bay last year, and now he's, of course, with the Jets. Uh, but I think you don't, you don't want a guy. You already got Perriman, who's inconsistent, or has been throughout his career, but has talent. Claypool's got, like Perriman, a ton of talent, but, uh, you know, he's had too many drops. And that's, that's the reason he's a second-round pick, not a first-round pick. Anthony Dasher, and then Ferd Lewis with the Honolulu Star Advertiser. Hi, Mel. There's been some talk about the rise of Isaiah Wilson. How's that happening without pro days and such? And is it measurable if people are falling in love with him? Just a quick second part of the target. Uh, what do you hear about Brian Herring? You know, in terms of Wilson, and Herring's got a Herring, the running back's got a late. Of course, Holyfield was there last year. Herring was the guy this year. He's more of a late-round free agent type guy. But I think Wilson, the intrigue with him is, and I said this on the previous call, if he goes back to Georgia, he's a top 15 pick potentially. The guy's over six, six, six and a half, 350 pounds, and like Beckton, he's light on his feet. He's got incredibly long arms. Uh, you know, he's a right tackle. Uh, you know, he did a good job opposite Andrew Thomas. You know, he's a second-round possibility. It's, I just couldn't find a spot for him. In there, it was, a, it was you know he's definitely a second round caliber player. So yeah, I think second at, at the worst, early third. So yeah, Isaiah Wilson because of people look at him and say, boy, if he'd have gone back, we'd have had looking at a top fifteen, top twenty guy. So I think if you get him in the second round, uh, then you got yourself a player that you think has a bright future if he's obviously brought along at a nice pace and coached up. There's a lot of talent to work with there. Bird Lewis and then Joe Butner with the Norman Transcript. How much credence do you give to the talk of uh, Tua dropping below fifth or sixth? Is this uh, just final week gamesmanship, or how much is there to it? And also with Cole McDonald, 
What have you seen that seems to have raised his stock a little bit recently? Yeah, with Tua, I think it's, it's some think he could drop a little bit. I think the Chargers would be a great fit. To answer your question about yeah, what are teams saying, teams aren't telling anybody what they're taking or who they're taking. This is coming from other teams speculating about what they're hearing. Uh, if you're smart, you don't let anything out. Um, there was information that the Giants like Daniel Jones, but nobody really knew for sure last year were they going to take him early or wait. If you like a quarterback, you take him. You don't wait. And uh, if I'm the Chargers, uh, yeah, I would be happy to get him at six. Cole McDonald, uh, yeah, the delivery bothers some people, but I think you look at the, the, the production, the accuracy on their, like I say, on their short intermediate crossing routes. He was excellent. He's over six three. He's got the arm strength. Uh, I think Cole McDonald's a late round. I think I wouldn't be shocked if he went anywhere between the fifth round. Could drop to the seventh, but I think he's definitely draftable and, and somewhere on the, the mid to later portion of day three. Joe Butner, and then Suzer Miller-Degnan with the Miami Herald. Uh, Mel, obviously Oklahoma's Kenneth Murray seems to be a surefire pick, but other OU defensive guys like Neville Gallimore and Parnell Motley, where do those guys project, if, if at all, in the draft, and do they fit in at the next level? Yeah, Gallimore definitely fits in. I mean, he can get it. He, he can uh, as a three technique. I mean, he's got the quickness to be a factor over the center. Um, he does a lot of things. He can wear a lot of hats for you, Gallimore can, because he's got a lot of talent. Uh, you know, he's a kid. He's powerful. Uh, you know, he's, he's he tested extremely well. He can, this kid is an athlete. He can run like like no other. Um, yeah, I think you get into the third. If you can get him in a third round with his versatility and the way he can get into that backfield, I would say Gallimore will be a really good third round pick for somebody. A Motley, I think, is more of that late-round possibility. I think he's a guy special teams early and see what you can get out of him later on uh, in a year or two in that secondary, but he's, he's a late-round possibility. Murray, to me, and Mort brought it up yesterday as a hot guy, and he is. I mean, he's got, he tested off the charts. He's got all the three straight years of great production. His tackle numbers are, are, are staggering. His tackles for loss, his sacks, he's all over the field. He's got a chiseled frame. He's a great kid. I think, you look at, at Jacksonville at 20 is where I projected him. I think the Raiders, even though they added the linebackers in free agency. He's tough to pass up. Miami as well at 18. Um, yeah, he's one of those guys that uh, you could say, I'd say 18, no later. Right now, I'd say no later than the Saints at 24. Susan Miller-Degnan and then Brooks Cabina with The Advocates. You already told us last month about Miami's underclassmen and how you think they'll do in the draft. What about the four Miami seniors slash graduate or you know graduate transfers? Wide receiver KJ Osborne, linebacker Shaq Quarterman, linebacker Mike linebacker Mike Pinkney, and defensive end Trevon Hill. Which do you most strongly project will be drafted around what rounds for each and why? And which risk not getting drafted and why in those cases? Yeah, interesting questions because they're all different. I think when you look at Quarterman's got the, the, the career production, I think he's got a chance to, at worst, be a backup special teams guy. I have like a fourth, fifth round grade on Quarterman. I think Hill's the, an intriguing guy because you expected better pass rush than you got uh, from what we saw at Virginia Tech. He showed flashes of that. So I think because pass rushers are at a premium, you, you certainly look at him early in to mid-day three. Uh, K.J. Osborne's return skills were good. I liked what I saw with him when he was at Buffalo. Um, you know, he's a day three guy as well. So, uh, yeah, I think, and then Pinkney's more of a late day three. But of, of the group that you mentioned, Osborne because of the versatility in the return game, Hill because of the pass rush potential 
He's not there yet, but he's got potential. And Quarterman's kind of the veteran who's been around for a long time, and you've always seen him. He didn't really elevate to an elite level, but I would, he's the kind of guy you like to have on your football team. So uh, they're all different, but they're all the three that I mentioned, uh, you know, ahead of Pinkney are guys that I would say go in that fourth to sixth round area. Brooks Cadena and then Brooks Pryor with ESPN Pittsburgh. Hey, Mel, who do you think from LSU would have benefited the most from a pro day perspective? And who out there from that, from LSU, have you, have you seen enough from that uh, really didn't need it? Well, Grant Delpit, certainly after having an ankle and there was projections with the 4-4-8, um, you know, I think he's in the second round area now, but uh, a guy that I like, and I think when you look at the defensive line, and everybody's going to be kind of, have mixed opinions on some of these these different defensive players, but I think when you look at LSU and I look at Richard Lawrence, I mean, he's the kind of guy in a rotation, I'd like to have him on my team. Uh, I think he's a day three type of guy, but I like some of the tape on him for a 310-pounder. He moves well. You've got to have production behind the line of scrimmage. You've got to get into the backfield some. So to me, Lawrence is a guy that I would think about you know, definitely on day three. But I'll, I'll answer your question about the pro day would be Grant Delpit. Brooke Pryor and then Andrew Fieldman with the Associated Press. Hey, Mel, you mentioned Neville Gallimore as being a round three guy, but who are some other mid to late round uh, interior defensive linemen uh, that would be good gets for for a team like the Steelers. Interior from the in the on the day three area, I think uh, you know you look at guys that I've you know I've had a pretty decent grade on throughout the process, and I would say Hamilton Devon Hamilton from Ohio State. If he got into day three, uh, is a nice player. Uh, I think yeah, Malcolm Roach from Texas uh, shows flashes at times. He could be another guy to look at there. Uh, Raquan Williams from Michigan State, like some things with him on day three. He moves well for a big guy. Robert Windsor, Penn State, I uh, thought had a nice year overall. Josiah Coatney from Ole Miss uh, would be another one. So those are some, I think, of that group. Uh, Hamilton may be the highest rated of that group, but if he slid into the third day, uh, he would be really good but the other guys I think are more day three guys and I would look at them as well Andrew Fieldman and then Jerry McDonald with the Oakland Tribune given where the Bears are at and the type of season that they're coming off of just how essential is it that Ryan Pace get those early picks right well, they they have to, and they, they have to figure out quarterback with Foles or Trubisky and see where they are there. They added a couple tight ends and Harrison Graham, but they need a tight end that improves that position. And I, you know, how much does Graham have left? Uh, they obviously expect a lot for what they they brought him in for. But I think Cole Komet, the tight end from Notre Dame, work him in unison with Graham and and Harris. You got something there. You've really fortified that position for future years. Uh, KJ Hamler. Uh, the wide receiver, Penn State, uh, doesn't have the hands of the Holly. He kind of reminds you physically of Hollywood Brown. He's a diminutive dynamo, but he doesn't have the consistency catching the ball that Hollywood had coming out of Oklahoma. But you're not talking about the first round with Hamler. You're talking about round two. Uh, Jalen Rager, TCU, would be a really good pick uh, at that particular point, as would Hamler. Uh, if you want to say who's better in terms of consistency, it would be Rager. Hamler maybe has a little bit... I wouldn't say upside because Rager does as well, but uh, that's that's where Rager could be off the board. There's some speculation he could go late first, early second. So I would go Komet. I would think Komet and then a receiver, maybe like KJ Hamler or Chase Claypool. Jerry McDonald and then Abby Bitterman with the Oklahoman. 
Yeah, Bill, given a John Gruden sort of historical reluctance to draft quarterbacks or play young quarterbacks, um, curious about your, your rationale for them going at taking Jordan Love. Yeah, it was just a hunch. I mean, I've been around John a lot, and I know he always talks about the young quarterbacks, and everybody's got mixed views on how he's uh, how he's going to go that way. So when I say it's mixed, it's because some think he's maybe going to take one, some thinks he won't because he doesn't like the young quarterbacks. He likes the veterans. You know, he had Rich Gannon, and he had uh, you know uh, Brad Johnson. As they, you know, he almost thought he could have got through a Super Bowl with Rich. Of course, the Tuck rule prevented that. And don't bring it up with John. But again, uh, you go back to uh, to Brad Johnson won a Super Bowl at Tampa. So uh, you know, John has had success with guys, the veterans, but he always seemed to me, and this is why I say the opinions mixed on John, is because to me he seemed frustrated by the fact he was never hand-picking a quarterback. Now, I don't know how he feels about Jordan Love. Jordan Love can spin it, though. His arm talent is excellent. He's got two first-round picks. Um, you know, you can address another neat area and then use that pick to be the guy that takes over for Carr down the road. If Carr's kind of a plateau quarterback, then you have a guy in two years can be the guy. Uh, if Carr is a great quarterback, and not just a good one, but he's a great one, and you can beat Patrick Mahomes with Derek Carr because that's the key to that whole thing there. Can't, who is the quarterback can beat Patrick Mahomes? Because if you don't, you're not winning the division. So, you know, that's what your goal is. You want to get the playoffs and win a, win a Super Bowl. Well, you've got to beat the team. And Mahomes isn't going away. He's a young kid. He's got 15 more years minimum in his league. So you, you, you got, if you think the car is good but not great and you think love can be great, then you take love. It's a win-win. You've got two first-round picks. If, if car turns out to be great, great. If Mariota steps in like Tannehill did last year for him, great. But if they don't, then in two, three years, you've got Jordan Love who maybe can emerge. If they are in the answer, then you go back to the drawing board and you try again. But I think it's a win-win in that regard for that reason. Abby Bitterman, and then Rakaya Gibson with Black Girls Talk Sports Podcast. Hi, Mel. What has Jalen Hurts done, or maybe what have others not done, that has allowed Hurts to be a hot name lately, as you mentioned, in your uh, latest mock draft? Yeah, that's the question. That's a, you know, that's why you know he he's kind of one of those quarterbacks you talk about and you say, okay, because of – I brought this up the other day. Excuse me, I think that the, the, the Lamar Jackson and Taysom Hill have both helped him uh, just because, you know, people say, well, Taysom Hill is not Lamar Jackson. Taysom Hill is going to be the heir apparent to Drew Brees, possibly. You know, Teddy Bridgewater's not there anymore. So Taysom Hill came out of BYU, nobody wanted him, but he filled the role with Sean Payton in that offense. Gave defensive coordinators something to think about. Before Lamar was Lamar with Baltimore, he was doing working in packages behind Joe Flacco. So Jalen Hurts as a rookie will be able to be that type of guy. So I think that's why, to me, hold one second. Uh, but to me, he's that kind of player. Getting him in as a rookie in packages, develop him. Pittsburgh, New England, I think could be possibilities. We'll go to Rakea Gibson and then Matt Lombardo with NewJersey.com. Hello. Who else besides Makai Becton do you see Cleveland Browns picking up? Well, you know, I think that in terms of the first round, it would be Becton, the left tackle. Andrew Thomas from Georgia, his name's going to come up, but it's a little high for me uh, that early. Uh, so I think, you know, those would be the two, uh, you know, possibilities if you look at the offensive tackle spot, Becton or Andrew Thomas. Thank you. Matt Lombardo and then Adam Hill with the Las Vegas Review Journal. Go ahead with your question, Matt. 
Oh, I see he might have disconnected. Let's go okay. to Adam Hill, and then followed by Jory Epstein with USA Today. Adam, can you hear us? Katrina, can you open Adam's line for us? Adam, can you hear us? All right. We'll go to Jory Epstein with USA Today. Boy, can you talk about what went into that decision and how you chose those specific players for those picks? I missed the first part. You said, what was the first part of your question? And Gary, for both of the Cowboys' first two picks, how did you decide oh, Cowboys. on that? Okay. The the Cow okay, the Cowboys. <laughs> yeah, Xavier McKinney is the best player on the board at that point where it is a neat area. I know Clinton Dix comes in, but to me – that's an upgrade, and I think that's the direction that, that you could go uh, to really get a leader in that defense, not just in the secondary, but a leader on defense overall. That's the kind of kid Xavier McKinney is. Um, you know, and then come back and, and get Jeff Gladney. Jeff Gladney is a corner from TCU. Uh, you can cover in the slot. Uh, he, you know, he doesn't get handsy. Uh, he's got really good awareness and coverage. Uh, he knows when to pull back in terms of not getting that pass interference call when he's right there blanketing uh, the receiver on those inside routes, those slant routes. So I think Gladney is really one of those guys that people aren't talking about enough. That has a chance to be a really good player in the NFL. Um, you look at him, you know, he's 5'10 and a quarter. He ran under 4'5. He's really athletic. He's got a ton of experience. He's, a, he's just a good football player. So if you can get Xavier McKinney and Jeff Gladney, uh, yeah, in the first and second round, you have increased your ability and your, your talent level in that secondary pretty dramatically. And they need a corner, and I think that would be an upgrade to me getting McKinney and really be one of the best players on that defense and, as I said, a big-time leader on that defense. We'll go to Langston Wirtz with the Charlotte Observer, and then George Veras with the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Hi, Mel. Um, I heard you say earlier Derek Brown you think might be the third best player in this draft. I wonder if you could kind of elaborate on that and what the Panthers might get if they get him, and who else they might be able to draft at number seven if it isn't him. What do you think about the rest of that draft since they've kind of blown up the whole team? Yeah, I think in terms of, of Derek Brown, I said you can make an argument, you know, that, that you know, I don't have him third on the board right now, but you could say, well, you don't think Joe Burrow is, is an elite quarterback? You'd have to put Chase Young up there, I would believe. Then one of the quarterbacks, Burrow, I don't know about Tua with the injury, but maybe Burrow, if, if not Burrow, then you'd have Okuda and Simmons. And you could say, well, Simmons is versatile, but, you know, Derek Brown's a wrecker up front. So you can make an argument third best. Uh, maybe a fourth, third, fourth best player. Not because I said you were picking seventh. That's a pretty good option to have. Uh, in terms of the second round pick, do you look at a corner? You know, Christian Fulton, LSU. You could be looking at that particular point uh, at a guy that I think is a really underrated player. Jeff Okuda talked about him. He came on with us yesterday and he said, where's Damon Arnett going to go? Damon Arnett's going to be an early second round. Some, some people think first coming out of Ohio State. When you play opposite a great corner, you're going to get opportunities and people are going like, to target you. And he held up really well opposite Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett did. So I think if you go defensive tackle early with Derek Brown, then you come back in the early second round and look at a corner. Okay, George has disconnected. We'll go to Michael Gelkin with the Dallas Morning News, followed by Mark Bond with the Buffalo News. 
Three guys who in your in your latest mock drafts look to me like they're dropping a little bit. One, uh, the corner digs. You've got not going till sixty-one, and then uh, Terrell Lewis edge. Do you see him kind of a fit thing as maybe better in the three-four? And Weaver, the other defensive end. So those three guys, Diggs, yeah, the, yeah, Terrell Lewis, they have. And yep. Got him. Yeah, Diggs has a little bit. Uh, you know, there's a lot of corners I've talked about during this call. Uh, you know, Diggs is a guy who had some games where he was a little inconsistent in terms of his coverage ability. Um, he likes to be physical. You think about what he can be in the, at the pro level when he's coached and, and then continues to improve. And at Alabama, they get great coaching as well with Nick. That's a specialty of his. He works hard with those defensive backs. And I think Diggs is still a work in progress. Uh, but the inconsistency has to be eliminated. Uh, if you see him in the right game, you think he's a late one. You see him in a couple other games, you think he's a third or fourth round pick. So I put him in a second. That's kind of the consensus that I built talking to people, and that's what you go by when you do this. Right or wrong, that's what you have to go by. Lewis is, a, I think, more of a two early three. The pass rush ability is real. He can have his hand on the ground, play in space on his feet. Um, Buffalo, I debated Okwara or Lewis to Buffalo. We talked about some of those other teams in the late first could look at a pass rusher, and I mean the late second could look at a pass rusher. Uh, Curtis Weaver, his production came against a couple weak teams. The majority of his sack numbers came against a couple weak teams and kind of distorted those numbers a little bit. Um, you know, he doesn't have great explosiveness. You know, he's, he's getting, like say, sacks against bad teams and some coverage sacks, but the lack of explosiveness is the reason I think he drops into the early portion of day three. We'll go to Dave Burkett and then Jason Leisure with the Chicago Sun-Times. Hey, Mel, thanks as always. Um, sure. curious about the the offensive line, I guess. And, you know, a couple of years ago, it seemed, or for a few years, it seemed like, you know, maybe offensive line was kind of thin coming out of college, and all of a sudden we've got a really deep class of offensive tackles, especially this year. Why do you think that, that changed, and, and just how good do you think the first-round group of offensive tackles is? Well, some of these guys, I think the, the versatility of, of, a, of a guy like uh, Tristan Wirfs to have to play left, left tackle in a few games when Alaric Jackson got hurt, it really helped him. And I think it showed some teams that he could maybe be a left tackle. The way Wills played and then the way he tested showed people he could maybe be a left tackle. So, you know, and then you have Andrew Thomas and Beckton, who also did play left tackle and played it very well uh, for the most part. I mean, Thomas is a little linear. He plays a little high at times, but, you know, coaching will, will correct that. Um, and so that's why he allowed some inside pressure that Thomas did. Beckton's got to keep his weight where it needs to be. I think Josh Jones is intriguing coming out of Houston. Uh, Robert Hunt could be a right tackle or guard coming out of Louisiana Lafayette. Um, Jonah Jackson's a guard who's at Ohio State, formerly a Rutgers. I think he's a good football player, as is Natani Moody, if he can stay healthy and durable from Fresno State. But to go to the tackle position, uh, yeah, I think there are some guys depth-wise. Like I say, Matt Peart, Connecticut, a guy that I think is very underrated, is uh, Tyree Phillips from Mississippi State, 6'5", 330-pounder with incredibly long arms. Love the tape on this kid. He slips. Uh, you know, he can slide along. He doesn't lose his balance. He, he's a, he bends. Uh, he deals with secondary moves very effectively. I really like Tyree Phillips as a third or fourth-round pick. I didn't put him in the two in the second-round mock. I think that's a little high. But third or fourth round with Tyree Phillips, uh, you're getting yourself a really good bookend. Jason Leisure, and then Savid B with the Sun Sentinel. 
So as with your question, Jason. Mel, can you hear me? Sure, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, my question is about the Chicago Bears. Uh, if they're looking for a quarterback of the future in this year's draft, uh, given that they only have two of, of those really high picks and then don't pick again until the fifth round, what would your advice to them be as far as trying to find that? Well, do you help the quarterbacks you have? And who do you like in the second round? Do you like Jacob Eason, Washington enough? Jacob Eason had struggles late in games. Uh, he's inconsistent, but he's got a rocket arm and he's got size. I'm imposing size. Um, you know, Jake Fromm from Georgia. Do you think the arm is strong enough? Do you, do you, do you excuse away some of the things that happened this year in terms of his, his uh, touchdown numbers coming down? Because he lost his top four receivers, his tight end, a 1,000-yard rusher, and his center. So I think those are all reasons to give Jake Fromm the benefit of the doubt and look at him in the second round. So I think Fromm from Georgia, I think when you look at, uh, at Eason uh, from Washington, those would be the two. And Jalen Hurts is kind of that wild card that I put in the second because of you know, the way, like I say, like say, Lamar Jackson and Taysom Hill kind of opened that door. It's a copycat league. I still question the ability to see the field throwing the football for Jalen Hurts, but he make progress in terms of accuracy and really developed late in his Alabama career before he even got to Lincoln Riley and did a really good job at Oklahoma. So you know, of that group, you know, if you feel one of those guys is, is, has a chance to be a really good quarterback, then you would think about it. But I think the opportunity to get a tight end or a receiver that can help Foles or Trubisky may be the way to go. Avid Dean and then Bob McManaman with the Arizona Republic. Hey, Mel, uh, Jordan Love and Justin Herbert, when they they get flushed out of the pocket, they seem to kind of lose their mechanics and their games kind of go a little haywire there. Uh, how much of, uh, of an improvement do you need to see in those two guys to really, you know, feel feel great about, you know, play, placing a first-round pick and putting your future in those guys? Well, we saw it with Love two years ago, and he made some really good throws outside the pocket in the games I watched when you know, he had receivers. He lost his top receivers. He lost his running back, Darwin Thompson. He lost four or five starters on the offensive line. So now COC Mariner was a good player, rep at tight end, and Gerald Bright at, the, at running back. They, were, they filled in with some decent players, Utah State did. Uh, but, you know, Jordan obviously was affected by it. He dropped significantly in terms of his touchdowns. His interceptions went up from 6 to 17. So he forced too many passes. He made some bad decisions. Some of that, I guess, was because he felt like, I have to do it. There's, i got I got to try to win this football game. But two years ago, he showed he could. Justin, I think, at times was good. He was just erratic in that regard. He didn't have great talent around him. Uh, you know, phenomenal talent like some of the other quarterbacks did, like Tua. So, you know, he didn't have that. When he went to the Senior Bowl, he showed he could go through his progressions. He could hit throw with better anticipation. And he did make throws even in a game on the move outside the pocket. So I think Joe Justin's kind of a developing player. You're seeing glimpses of what could happen when it all comes together for him. Now, as I said, when you go back to 2018, you already saw that with Jordan Love as well. So they're both you know, talented kids. Uh, you know, I, you know, I think you know, Herbert's going to go slightly above Love. I know Todd disagrees with that. We'll see how it plays out on April 23rd. But uh, they're both the guys that are going to play in this league as a starter and have a chance. And whether they develop, who knows? But uh, they're going to have a chance to be starting quarterbacks in this league, and hopefully both are able to prosper. Bob McManaman and then Barry Jackson with the Miami Herald. We see guys uh, slide in the first round and a few others go a lot higher than expected. I'm curious to get some names from you about who could drop, who could soar. And in the case of the Cardinals at eight, can you see, see any scenarios in which a guy like Isaiah Simmons could fall to eight, and a guy like maybe Henry Ruggs could be a pick, you know, a little higher than Lamb or Judy, just because of fit, draft, draft needs, and whatnot. 
again, that would be high for rugs. Uh, I know he's at that four two five, four two seven speeds hard to overlook, but I think eight's really rich at that point. Getting Hopkins, I understand you like that everybody, but you got to protect before you can throw any any passes and complete. You got to be able to get the ball away, and you got an athletic, mobile quarterback, fast, and Murray. You still sack the league league number of times and hit a lot. You can't have that. So they got to get better at the tackle spot. I think Tristan Wirfs or Wills, somebody like that, would be the better fit for this, this team getting better. And then Kyler Murray being able to stay healthy uh, would be a better route to go. Um, and I don't see Simmons sliding down. Some do. I, it would be hard for me to see him sliding down that far. But if he gets past the Giants, he could because then Carolina's got a decision to make. And if they take Brown, then there he is. So there, there's a, a way for him to get there. Uh, you know, and if he is, you know, it's, you got to decide. You take Simmons or to the offensive tackle. What do you do? Um, I think in terms of my group, you know, the higher graded player would be Simmons, but the, but you have the bigger need at tackle, and teams now are forcing things that need. You saw that uh, you know over the last few years, the needs are winning out when they have guys that are close. Uh, as far as the question about moving up, moving down, I think you guys moving up, Chase on from LSU, the pass rusher. You hear him being pushed up a little bit. Uh, the pass rushers, it's hard to find them. Uh, sometimes you can get lucky late, get fortunate late. The Ravens have done a great job late finding pass rushers. But uh, I think Chase on will get moved up. C.J. Henderson from Florida will get pushed up because he's a second corner and there's a gap between him and the third corner. Um, as far as Justin Jefferson's moving up wide receiver from LSU, um, I keep hearing Austin Jackson, a tackle from USC, more in the late first than I did a couple weeks ago. So maybe Austin Jackson a little bit there. Um, Sliding down a little bit, um, down a little bit, maybe the, some, a couple of the corners. I know Christian Fulton, some people think first. I have more in the second. Jacob Eason, the quarterback, Washington's now in the second, not the first. Um, Chase Claypool with the inconsistency, maybe now is more of a two than a late one. K.J. Hamler, same thing, inconsistent. May drop a little bit because of that. Also moving up a little bit, Jalen Rager, TCU's moving up. Devin Duvernay, wide receiver, Texas, moving up. Um, Adam Troutman, tight end, Dayton moving up. Moving down a little bit, Cameron Dantzler, uh, the cornerback from Mississippi State, moving into the late second, early to mid third. Trayvon Diggs, cornerback Alabama, moving down just a bit into the mid to late second. Barry Jackson, and then Bob Condota with the Seattle Times. Mel, there's probably no starting caliber left tackle on the Dolphins roster. If you're sitting there at 18, if the top four tackles are gone, including Andrew Thomas, is there a plug-and-play left tackle still available in your mind among the Josh Jones, Austin Jacksons, Ezra Cleveland's, et cetera? Yeah, that'd be interesting. Right, 26. It, what would they do there? Would they take Austin Jackson? It seems like he has the slight edge with some teams I spoke to over the weekend over, say, uh, you know, Ezra Cleveland and maybe Josh Jones. I still put him in the second because I couldn't get a consensus on that. But there are some teams that do like Austin Jackson a lot. But it's more based on potential. He had some struggles because he still has to improve his technique, and, you know, and then until he does, he's going to have issues. But he's got a lot of talent. He's got really good feet. He's a gifted athlete. I mean, light on his feet for a kid his size. So uh, maybe Jackson, if you want to develop a tackle, the better tackle though right now is Jones and Cleveland. But you know, down the road it could be Jackson. So the safer pick would be Jones or Cleveland at that point. And then maybe you get a Robert Hunt with that 39th pick who can be a right tackle guard. So I'd even double up. I'd think about taking a tackle at 26 and then come back at 30, uh, 39 and get one as well, knowing you're going to get the quarterback and you've got to have the line in front of them. So uh, it wouldn't be bad to double up there. Uh, like I say, if you can get Hunt and you could get Jones or Hunt in Cleveland or Hunt in Jackson, you'd be in pretty good shape. We'll go to Bob Condota. 
Um, hi, Mel. Yeah, I know, I know you have Ruiz for, for Michigan going to Seattle at 27. Yep. I'm just curious mm-hmm. what else you thought might make sense for them there, and especially and then with three picks in the top 64 if you, uh, for the Seahawks, if you sort of have an idea of what would make sense for them to try to get out of all that. Well, pass rusher. I think you know, we thought. You know, I was thinking about you know which pass rusher I could give them. Uh, Itor Gross Matos was in the discussion for me. Um, and also offensive line. I really think after Ruiz, you want to look at a tackle. If you go pass rusher, then you'd obviously be looking at that spot uh, down the road as well. And obviously, if you can get a safety, I think there's some really good ones you can get though on day, late day two, early day three. But to go to pass rushers, um, yeah, there's some guys. Anthony Jennings from Alabama uh, is a guy maybe in that third or fourth round mix. I mentioned Tuska from North Dakota State in that third. Casey Tuhill from Stanford late in the draft. I like DJ Wanham from South Carolina in that fourth round range, Jabari Zuniga from Florida, maybe more of a third rounder now. And if you're looking for late round safeties, or say say in that fourth or fifth round area, um, that maybe have a chance, uh, I'd say more third, let's go more third or fourth round. It would be a Kyle Duggar from Lenore Ryan, a Tanner Muse from Clemson, a Kayvon Wallace from Clemson would be another one uh, that could fall into that category, Julian Blackman from Utah. So I think safety is, is, is pretty good at all levels, early, mid, and even late. I gave some of the late round guys earlier, but even some of those middle round guys, that third, fourth round guys that I just mentioned. Unfortunately, we have just a minute left. We're going to go to Clifton Brown with BaltimoreRavens.com. Yeah, Mel, uh, obviously you stuck with uh, Queen uh, at for the Ravens at 28. Obviously, there's some other guys right there, you know, 29, 30, um, who might be guys who've been linked to, or are guys who've been linked to them as well. Just uh, curious why you think. It might go with Queen at that spot rather than um, the guys who have a 29 and 30 for them. Well, I think in, in terms of Queen, he fits what they need. He can fly to the football. He's perfect for the way the game's played now with that 4-5 speed. He had a great year at LSU. You know, if they have the 245 pound, you know, uh, you know, you know, in, in you know, second, first and second down guys anymore. You got to have guys who can play every down. He can, um, he can cover. Uh, you know, you think about other guys there, a wide receiver, uh, T. Higgins. Uh, you know, you think about where he would be, or Henry Ruggs. You know, Henry Ruggs is going to go a lot earlier. Uh, so T. Higgins could possibly be there realistically. I think he would be interesting. Cesar Ruiz, the center guard, would fill a neat area at, at that spot as well. Um, so there are some t- other op- options. Kenneth Murray, if he were there, would be in the sky. I just think Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma is going to be gone. I'm going 20 to Jacksonville. So I get, it really got down to me, Ruiz, if he was there, and I had him going to Seattle, and then Queen. Like I said, I have Murray going to 20. I have, Higgins was in the discussion, but I, had, I think you need Queen more than you need Higgins for obvious reasons. So, um, you know, I would go Patrick. If he were there, I think Patrick Queen would be a guy to really look at very strongly. Like I said, unfortunately, that is all the time we have today. Thank you so much for joining us here. I'm sorry for those that we couldn't get to. If there's anything else you might need between now and the draft, please feel free to follow up with me individually and have a great rest of your day.